Blog Talk Radio. Hello there and welcome into My W Sports Best of 2016. Luis Sanchez, Kyle Westcott, Eric Ayala, the My W Sports crew here to get you this yearly recap. It's our second time doing this, so we're really excited. Kyle, I know we got to do this last year. It's great to have you along, uh, Erica, so we're really excited to get into this show. Kyle, just, just remind our fans exactly how this is going to go today. Yeah, so today uh, what we're going to do is we've we've looked at a ton. I mean, we had a huge list here of moments in 2016, and, and we tried to narrow it down um, a little bit, but, but we wanted to highlight as many of these moments as we can. So we're going to talk about the honorable mention, which are the, the moments that didn't make our personal list as staff members for our top 10 or the final list, but definitely need to still be mentioned because some of these are still great moments that uh, a lot of us are going to remember from 2016. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the, the best players of the year. We'll talk about for many different leagues uh, who the best players that we felt they were. So there's going to be some great discussion there between the three of us as to who we felt the best players were. And then we're going to get into our, our top 10 uh, for 2016 and talk about all of the best of the best of 2016 and finish up with, the other ones that we felt like were on our list and, and were very close to making that top 10, uh, but just quite didn't make it. So we got a great show for you, and I'm really excited to, to get started. And EA, this is uh, your first show with us for the best of the best. What, do you, what were you looking most forward to? I know Kyle and I were counting down the minutes and probably even the seconds today for this show. What were you looking most forward to for today? Um, I think it's just always nice to recap, and as we get into our personal lists, um, you know, I really took um, a look at individuals or teams or moments in sport that will transcend um, 2016. That's kind of how I looked at my list, so I'm pretty excited to um, make my case. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. We have a lot to get to. So first we'll start with some honorable mentions. These are some nominees who didn't make our list, our personal list, uh, in the MyW Sports Top 10. Uh, a lot of great moments, as Kyle talked about, so many to get to. But this was my number. This was my, not my number one, but one of the ones that stuck out to me 
Uh, Angelique Kerber, she had a great 2015, couple of losses in some major tournaments. Well, she got into 2016 and got off on the right foot, winning the Australian Open, uh, had a great matchup in the French Open and also lost in the Wimbledon final, but uh, won the U.S. Open, had a great year, finished number one ranked, although losing in the WTA finals to uh, Sibakova. She had a phenomenal year, and that was something that I thought needed to be a little shouted out uh, with Angelique Kerber finishing the world uh, number one in tennis. Um, so, Kyle, I'll move it over to you. What was another honorable mention on your list? Another one for me, I thought, um, when you think about in, in ski racing, uh, some of the best of all time, and, and what EA just mentioned, ones that will uh, transcend 2016. Lindsey Vaughn is one of those those people, and she continued to dominate early in the year this year, was faced with some injuries uh, late in the year, unfortunately, um, but battled back from some early injuries as well early in 2016. Uh, she became, just this year, the all-time leader with, 20, uh, with 76 career World Cup wins. Uh, she also has the most Super G wins with 27, and that's the most for any male or female. So just an unbelievable year for Lindsey Vaughn, and we're hoping to see her come back in, early in 2017 to continue what she was working on in 2016. Absolutely, and Vaughn, we hope to see in the Winter Olympics coming up. But EA, uh, you know, talking about players who've missed some time, we're going to miss some of the some of the stars that you're going to mention soon. That's right. So in the 20th season of the WNBA, we're going to talk a lot about that rookie class as we get to the list. But let's talk about some of the players that are still in the game or were still in the game that paved the way for the you know the Rachel Benhams and the and the Bree Stewarts and 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 all of that. And so we have three big names from the game retiring. All three are Olympians for their respective countries. Um, and there were other retirements as well, but we're talking about the big three, if you will, that being Penny Taylor, um, Team Australia, played for the Phoenix Mercury this season. Swin Cash, who was with the New York Liberty this season, also Team USA Olympian. And Tamika Catchings. Indiana Fever, another Team USA member. Uh, these are three women who, again, looking at a, a career, have been able to impact the WNBA on and off the court, as well as their respective national teams, and have really um, paved the way for a lot of these uh, young bucks that we're going to be talking about, not only in 2016, but um, hopefully, hopefully, excuse me, for years to come. Um, so those three in particular. Um, as we close out the 20th season of the WNBA, uh, Tamiki catching Swin Cash and Penny Taylor. And EA, I mean, each of these players have done a lot, not only on the court, but off the court. You think about Penny and what she meant for basketball in Australia and the growth of that team, not only on, you know, on a countrywide scale, but on an international level. Team Australia, one of the competitive teams against Team USA in, in recent Olympics and World Championships. Talk about Tamika Catchings, what, what she meant uh, with her organization, her nonprofit organization, what she's done for the Indiana community. I mean, these players, they, they give you that, that chill because it's like, wait, you know, when are we going to see them again? When are we going to hear from them again? Um, so are, is there one that sticks out for you this year, whether it's basketball, soccer, or any of them? Uh, any individual retirement, that's really tough. Um, I think 
as far as the WNBA, it'd have to be Swin Cash, just being able to watch her when I was in high school play for UConn and, and see her win with Detroit and Seattle, um, and then get to see her in my home city play. So Swin Cash um, for me. As far as um, soccer, you know, that's a really interesting one. I I was um, really – I hope we get to see more of Heather O'Reilly. I guess this is kind of a semi-retirement. She retired from the national team, but, um, you know, she'll still be around, hopefully, um, with FC Kansas City. Um, but that was a tough one as well. Heather O'Reilly has kind of been synonymous for the women's national team, for me at least, growing up. So, uh, And I can go on, but um, those are the two that stand out. Okay. How about for you, Kyle? Any any retirements this year that not shocked you, but you're, you're kind of going to be like, oh, man, it's going to – going to suck not not seeing this player play anymore well I, I think Tamika Catchings for me is, is one of those I mean she ended with such a high and you know unfortunately they weren't be able to get past the mercury in the playoffs to give her another opportunity to get to the finals this year but um, you know she just has been such a huge part of of not only Team USA but but the teams that she's played on in the WNBA and and uh, the the U.S. national team as well. We got to catch up with her at the the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, preliminaries in New York this summer, and uh, you know she was just such a great uh, role model to people. And and mentioned you know for her it was a lot about uh, the loss of Pat Summit and you know fighting one last time for for what her coach instilled in her. And, you know, she gave, she, she mentioned that, you know, everything that she is is because of, of what uh, Pat Summit and other players and other coaches have helped her become. Absolutely. And we also saw that with Candace Parker leading the LA Sparks, which we will get to a little later, um, having that motivation with Pat Summit as well. So uh, moving down on our honorable mentions list, this was a well, little wait personal a minute there, for me. You, Lewis, oh. you didn't give us uh, who are your retirees? Um... <laughs> oh, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so <laughs> I, for me, I kind of agree. I, I agree with Kyle. I mean, for me, I, and you know, this EA, I, I grew up in a nonprofit world um, and I've benefited from, existing nonprofits and to see what Tamika Catchings, excuse me, Catchings is doing um, with her organization, not only here in the States, but, but internationally as well. She, she has a presence about her that, that I think I'm going to miss the most. Um, but, you know, both of the, the other players, Swin Cash and Penny Taylor, I, Penny Taylor, what she did for basketball in Australia was amazing. And Swin Cash, um, albeit with, with my arch nemesis, the New York Liberty, um, you have to give credit where credit is due, and she, she's a phenomenal player. Um, and so I, I'd say number one, Tamika, but it's hard. As you said, EA, it's hard to kind of put them in order when you know you're going to miss them all. Sounds good. All right. Shall we continue? <laughs> all right. Yes, I know you want to get to this um, one. <laughs> I do, I do. So, all right. So, I it's no secret here that I'm a BC alum on my W Sports, but this for me um was an incredible moment to to be there not only representing my W Sports but representing Boston College. Uh that is the 2000 
2016 national championship uh, in hockey up in New Hampshire. It was the first time in a couple of years it's been over here on the east side. Um, Haley Skarupa, uh, overtime goal after Boston College, was down quickly to Clarkson in the semifinals, in the national semifinals. Sends Boston College their first NCAA championship. Although they lost to Minnesota, um, this was just an incredible moment as a BC alum, as a Boston boy. Um, everything about this was, was incredible. I was a huge fan of Skarupa. I think she got um, – she gets a lot of credit, but compared to Carpenter at BC, I think she was kind of the sidekick, and I think she was she's her own hero in her own right. So, um, Hayless Group with game-winning goal overtime against Clarkson national semifinal last year or this year. And, uh, and I'll Kyle just tag on to that. I think that I think that Scrupa has kind of come into her own as she's moved on into the NWHL, and to, to kind of tie another one with this, um, you know, Scrupa went into the NWHL. Uh, her first game as a as a Connecticut Whale, she had a hat trick in the NWHL. So, you know, continuing her, what she did in college into the NWHL, into the professional ranks, uh, she's continuing to to show that that she wasn't a side thing uh, to Carpenter, but she is her own uh, great player as well. So, I, again, hats off to Haley Skrupa for for a great finish at BC and a great start so far to her professional career in 2016. Absolutely. One of the leading NWHL uh, scorers so far in the first half of the season. So, uh, as you mentioned, doing well for herself right now for, with the Connecticut Whale and also playing with teammate Dana Trevino. So, a lot of BC love there. But, Kyle, we have some, uh, some football love. It feels like a long time we haven't talked about some football. <laughs> it, it, it does feel like that. Uh, unfortunately, from summer to winter is a long, long time. And, uh, but we did have a great uh, WFA uh, season this season, and the DC Divas uh, hit, had their second straight Women's Football Alliance Championship over the Dallas Elite two years in a row uh, over Dallas. Very close ball game here. You know, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought this might have been Dallas's year, uh, but the DC Divas held on and and won their second straight uh, championship with just a great performance from beginning to end. They played the best of the best all year long, taking on uh, Chicago taking on Boston and, and in the end it was enough to give them the, the championship over Dallas. Yeah. Very impressive season by the Divas. Didn't start the season off like they wanted to, but made it to that championship game and defended their title against Dallas. EA, we had somebody else defend their title. This was in the Olympics though. Absolutely. Clarissa Shields. She becomes the winner of not only the first ever gold medal in um, the Olympic sport of women's boxing. But then she defends, as you said, her title and wins also the second. So she's back-to-back champion in 2012-2016 in in her division. She um, is in the middleweight. She won the middleweight title, excuse me. And, um, you know, I think the thing that amazes me the most about uh, Shields is that she – has I mean anyone who's been able to see her documentary she has a lot of raw talent and there's so many different pieces of her story that are unique but what is great is that you see someone excelling in their sport and just dedicating herself to her sport despite having to learn I think the the most difficult thing and this is my interpretation that Shields had to learn was all of the off um or I should say out of the ring stuff that she had to learn in order to be viable for in, um, endorsements. And so having to curb 
who she is at times without losing who she is, which is what makes her a great competitor. Um, I thought the way that she was able to do that and grow and mature, just which will naturally happen with her age, um, and then be able to defend her title despite having to go through that um, was really great. So she is the first ever boxer in the United States to, to be able to defend her title. Um, obviously the first female since there's only been uh, two Olympics um, where women have been competing in boxing. So she's a great story. She is now, she has also won her first professional fight um, in 2016. So it, Looks like 2016 was a great year for Clarissa, Clarissa, excuse me, and um, looking forward to what she will bring in the future. Absolutely. One of the best stories coming out of the Olympics this year uh, was her personal story and all the adversity she overcame. Um, it's incredible to see that. And we also had another performance this year that was quite incredible, and that was on the college level. That was Rachel Bannum from Minnesota, the golfer. She dropped 60 points against Northwestern. It was after she had dropped, I believe, 51 against Boise State. So in back-to-back games, she goes over 100 points. It was a Big 12 record, um, or is a Big Big 12 record. Uh, obviously, she was drafted in the WNBA draft. So Rachel Bannon, she gets a shout-out here for an honorable mention. That 60-point performance also got a shout-out from the Mamba himself, Kobe Bryant. Um, so a lot going on there for Rachel, and we wish her success in the WNBA. Not a lot of minutes this year, um, but we'll see what happens in the next couple of years in the WNBA for Rachel. Kyle, over to you. And a- another big performance, uh, speaking of big performances, uh, big offensive performances even, I'll go there. The Calgary Inferno dominate the top seed Lace Canadians 8-2 to two in the Clarkson Cup Finals. Uh, coming into this, Lace Canadians had played so well had had really offensively been dynamite. And unfortunately, it was the Inferno that turned on the offense in the Clarkson Cup final to defeat and win the Clarkson Cup final. And, Kyle, we've talked about this a couple of times, but now that you see Calgary and what they've sort of become this year, is it still a shocker or is it more of the score? Is it more of just the, the final score was a shocker? Yeah, the final score was a shocker here. I mean, when you're when you're going up against a Montreal team that has Charlene Labonte in goal, um, you know, you're not expecting to put up eight goals. And they were able to just take advantage of, of just an unbelievable performance from, from multiple players that day and get a great uh, defensive effort, a great goaltending effort in their own right from Delaney Bryan in that game um, that, you know, I think that it's not surprising anymore. Like you just, you know, we're trying to allude to there. Now we see they're continuing this into the 2016, 2017 season. And they're, they're right now, they're the force to be reckoned with right now in the CWHL. Absolutely. Delaney Bryan, one of the most underrated players in the CWHL, uh, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Um, EA, we have one more performance to get to before we get to the top players of 2016. Uh, What did we miss? on our honorable mentions list. Well, and it, it's it's tough to only have this as an honorable mention, but I guess that's for longevity, um, that 2016 is just a piece of the puzzle of the U.S. women's basketball team winning its sixth straight gold medal, that is eight total, um, in the summer games. Uh, they 
pretty much dominated the field. There were some great teams like Spain and, and France had a run, a pretty solid run, but no one would outdo the United States. So now on that team, you had Diana Taurasi, Tamiki Catchings, and Sue Bird, who now join um, Teresa Edwards with five Olympic medals. Um, each one of those women that I listed, um, save for Tamika, Teresa Edwards, excuse me, has five gold medals, not just Olympic medals. Um, and I mean, that's just amazing. We talked about Tamika catching a little earlier and for her to cap off, um, her playing career with a, her fifth gold medal is, is absolutely delightful. So no, it's not Carmelo Anthony Nike and your New York Times ad, who has the most Olympic medals. It is one of the ladies, along with Teresa Edwards, Lisa Leslie, who is the most decorated USA basketball player. Absolutely. And <laughs> shout out to Team USA. And Kyle, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, and, and EA said it right, this is a longevity thing. This is this is one piece of just such a great piece of history. Um, you know, I think it, it – rightfully should be in a uh, higher up in our top 10. Um, but, you know, they've just been so dominant that, you know, unfortunately it kind of doesn't get the same uh, glitz and glamor that maybe a, a brand new thing or, or an upset, a huge upset would get uh, just in 2016. So big Ooh, shout yeah. out. I mean, just an unbelievable performance by them, a dominating performance as EA said, and, uh, you know, I, I hope to see them continue that in the next next Olympics four years from now. That's right. And, and it only goes to show you how great our list is going to be if that's only an honorable mention, right? Amen. <laughs> All right, so we'll get back to our top performances, top moments of 2016 in just a moment. We are going to go to our top players of 2016. We had incredible athletes kind of – break out onto the scene, continue to make a name for themselves, continue to cement themselves in history. Uh, and 2016 was no different this year. It gave us a, a ton of milestones, historic accomplishments, and we are excited to kind of do our first ever Player of the Year awards here uh, on MyW Sports. So, Kyle, without further ado, we'll, we'll let you start it off with the NCAA Player of the Year. So this accumulates or, you know, accommodates any player, any sport in NCAA, whether it's softball, golf, lacrosse, field hockey, tennis, basketball, all that great stuff. So, Kyle, we'll start off with you. This was obviously a very difficult choice. Um, I mean, I think, as you said, because we're talking about all of the different sports, this this has so many different uh, options for people that we could have chosen. For me personally, I, I had to go with Amanda Kessel for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, she returned off of uh, some concussion uh, issues and some injuries that were sustained in uh, the previous Olympics and uh, returned back to Minnesota midseason uh, to basically help Minnesota then go on a run and win the uh, NCAA College Hockey Championships uh, this this season. So for me, I had to go for best player in college, Amanda Kessel. All right. And, I mean, we got to see her live in that national championship, Kyle. Um, and that team goes – or that team went as Amanda went. And it, it seemed like they really followed her leadership last season or this season. Yeah, I mean, there were so many – again, there were so many options there because, you know, you had great performances from multiple players because one player really can't win at all, but – 
But you're right. I think with her leadership and just the way that she did uh, step up for her team in, in the, the biggest of the clutchest moments, I just felt like she was the reason they were able to go from, you know, a contender to the, the champion. So that's why I had to go with Kessel there. And uh, how about you, right. Lou? What do you have? Well, I'll, I'll go to EA first. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a little last-minute adjustment to do here. But EA, go ahead Uh-oh. and take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went with, um, with Stewie. Um, I agree. It was really tough to decide. Um, I just don't know that any one player has been more synonymous with winning in her career, um, over four years. So, you know, she, she didn't leave early or anything like that. Then, um, then, then Stewie. Um, and I'm not, you know, I usually like to kind of, um, you know, give some, some, uh, play to players who maybe do go under the radar, but had amazing performances. But when I'm really just thinking about what Stewie was able to do for UConn in 2016, um, and, and how, you know, she, you want to talk about, you know, the Gophers go as Castle goes. I mean, Stewart's been able to do that over the course of four years and continue that even into her professional career. Um, and so I, I just, um, I had to go with Stewie. I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, she's racked up all, every award, <laughs> um, conference title, national title for her entire career for four years. Um, but I know we're talking about 2016, but to be able to do that in your senior year, um, and then we, we have a few other moments where she'll be mentioned that she was a part of later in the countdown. Um, I'm going with I'm going with Stewie. And EA and, and Kyle, you know this. I, I went with Stewie, too, originally. Um, and I think they're both great picks. Amanda Kessel, as I just said, she, she was phenomenal. And to see a player of that caliber live in person was great. To see Stewart live in person was phenomenal, um, and, and both of them, as, as both of you said, uh, they they kind of transcended the game uh, and put their teams on the map, put themselves on the map. So for me, I, I went sort of a little under the radar, although I did go originally with Brianna Stewart. Um, my my pick for this one is Greta Nock of Delaware Field Hockey. She scored 33 goals. 10 assists on the season, uh, helped Delaware to a national championship. I thought it was just an incredible performance. A lot of people had uh, written off the Blue Hens being a mid-major school. So to go into the national championship, defeat North Carolina, um, I thought her performance on the season was, was worthy of NCAA Player of the Year. Solid. That's a solid, that's a solid pick. So um, we had a little bit of uh, hockey in our NCAA player of the year. So we're going to keep in that theme, uh, the ladies of the ice, if you will. Uh, let's head over to the CWHL fellas. What you got? Go ahead, Kyle. So, I mean, for me, I, I looked at a lot of different um, stats for this one, but for me, it really came down to just the pure dominance of Marie Philippe Poulin. Um, when you look at the, the points that she put up, the goals she put up, if you take away the rest of the players on the Montreal Lace Canadiens, the next closest goal scorer from her is 14 points behind her. 
So uh, that's just pure dominance, in my opinion. And, you know, there was I, the, any of the games that I got to see, I, I got to see her come to, to Boston last year, last season, and she was just so dominant. You could just tell when she was on the ice, a, a puck was going to go in the net. And, you know, I think that that goes beyond just the CWHL because we've seen it in in the national team uh, setting as well. She's just an unbelievable player who just has just such a great spark for the game and, and for the puck. And I, I can't disagree with you, Kyle, but I have to go with one of the unsung MVP positions ever, and that's goalie. Um, I mean, when you think about what Delaney Bryan was able to do, a lot of people talked about Genevieve LaCasse and how many saves she was making for the Boston Blades. A lot of people talked about Charlene Labonte and how great less Canadians were last year. But when you look at the overall performance and you see what, at the end of the season, um, who has that trophy, that's the Calgary Inferno. Uh, and in a championship game, Delaney Bryant only allowed two goals against the high-powered uh, Montreal Les Canadiens and that aforementioned Marie-Philippe Poulin. So I'll go with Delaney Bryant. I think the CWHL Player of the Year for me has to be Delaney Bryant after her performance in the Clarkson Cup playoffs and last, uh, last season as well. You're not going to get much of an argument from me. I think I think I agree with you that Delaney Bryan is a great goaltender. All right, that's fair. All right, so we'll get EA in on this conversation. Let's go to the NWHL Player of the Year. So many great players to choose from. I mean, in the inaugural year, we can pick any player, I think, in my opinion, and, and put up a really good case. But there were some really great performances throughout the season last year. Uh, and, and I'll go with you, EA, um, you have a great pick. I'm not going to lie. Um, so let's start off with you. Yeah, I I had difficulty with this one. I think the two names that we will mention, unless there's a, a last-minute change, um, are, are, are good. Um, and, but, again, I think of – I try to think of the entire journey of a player. And I, I don't know that, and this will leak over into the next – into the next uh, category as well, that one player in the league has meant more, to, meant more to her team um, during the, the first part of, or excuse me, the back end of the first season um, than Kelly Stedman meant to the Buffalo Buttes. I love, love that she was the only practice player that was even thought of for the All-Star game. And then she wins All-Star MVP which um, may have also led to her 2016 appointment as captain of the second all-star game to be hosted in, you know, a city that she holds very near and dear Pittsburgh. So I, I just love what Kelly Stedman, I mean, on the ice, she's fierce. Why she has not been given another look for Team USA, I don't know. Um, must be something going on there that I'm, I'm just not aware of. Um, but think that she is on the ice she's a great leader she's a great ambassador for the sport and she really came out to play uh you you know you want to talk Candace Parker snub I mean I don't know if that's where Kelly Stubman's head was at but she came to play she came to show that she can be a leader in this league and um and was a leader um for her team and you know on the scoreboard and so I really enjoyed watching Kelly Stubman play she she made a fan of me in 2016. 
and I am going to completely agree with EA. And again, when I look at uh, somebody that changed what happened with a team, um, you know, the Buffalo Buttes were were kind of the the bottom of the barrel. They they were just okay as we got later in the season, and it just seemed like Stedman took them all on their on her back and led them to the the uh, Isabel Cup final. Um, this is a player that only played 10 of the, the possible 18 games, but in those 10 games, she had 13 goals and, you know, and that's the, the highest percentage of any player. So I know that she didn't win the MVP last year, but when you talk about the, the person who is the most valuable for her team, certainly it, it had to be Kelly Stedman last year. Absolutely. And again, it's hard to argue some of these picks because you have to agree Kelly was was phenomenal. Um, but again, I have to go with an, a performer who, again, doesn't didn't get a lot of glimmer in the light because of a certain teammate. But I thought Brianna Decker, uh, she she was uh, you know a big part of what made the Boston Pride go. And even now, you see her being a big part of the Boston Pride without Hillary Knight in the lineup. Um, with Decker's performance in the in the Isabel Cup playoffs, I thought that kind of put it over for me. With against Edmund, they played head to head, head to head in that final, um, so I had to give it to Decker. It's hard to argue that Kelly did, does not deserve it, um, but but for me, it was Boston Pride's uh, Brianna Decker. And again, credit to, to your argument for both of you because when you talk about what she meant for that team and where wh- how she worked her way up, Brianna Decker is a nationally known, internationally known player. Kelly Stedman has kind of gained that prominence, um, not only with the help of this league, but with, with her own kind of publicity and, and making her game uh, speak for itself. So I thought that was incredible. Absolutely. Definitely. You know, she was also, again, if we're going to talk about pieces of of the puzzle, certainly Decker obviously was a, a big part of the pride as well. So, you know, again, we're not we're not saying that anybody's wrong here. We're just saying that these were all great players, of the year for each of the leagues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, All right. So from the NWHL, let's go on. EA alluded to this one. We're going to have some fun with the WNBA player of the year. Um, Kyle, we'll go to you first. Again, we're we're talking about great players in the WNBA. Uh, There's no right or wrong answer. Uh, (laughs) But, but, you know, for me, I, I think with, with all of the stuff that happened this year to Candace Parker, for her to, to not make the U S national team heading into the, the Olympics uh, for, for her to, uh, as I said, with Tamika catching with, with the dealing still with the uh, loss of Pat summit. Um, Candace Parker is a player who at the age of 30 is still going out there and working as hard as she possibly can. She's still in the top 10 in, in most categories um, and and be on her back specifically in the WNBA finals this year. She led the LA Sparks uh, to a a ch- uh, championship in the 20th season of the WNBA this year. So for me, I would say the the player of the year for the WNBA would be Candace Parker. And that's absolutely a great great point about Candace, what she what she was able to overcome. 
uh, and do this season, especially leading the Sparks to a championship first since 2002. Uh, EA, I'll go first because I, I kind of have this, this similarity with the Sparks, um, except I went with NECA, Kyle. So I, I, I definitely – this was a struggle for me because I agree. I think Candace Parker uh, was overlooked, and even statistically she's one of the best players on the Sparks this season. But I thought – a big part of what the Sparks were missing last season was a big, and NECA provided everything that they needed um, this year, and that's why I think they were so successful. Her her numbers kind of spoke for themselves, um, and, you know, she wins the regular season MVP. She leads her team to a championship. She becomes one of only seven players to do that uh, in league history to, to win that regular season MVP and a championship. So um, I, have to, I had to go NECA. I've been rooting for her all season long. Um, so I thought that she was um, she was my pick for the WNBA Player of the Year. EA, over to you. Yeah. So both of those choices. I mean, when we look at the end of the season, sure. You know, who's who's going to question that? However, my big issue with the most valuable player, most, the most, as in highest, premier, best asset, valuable player. For one's individual team, got to go with Tina Charles. Tina Charles was phenomenal, and I say this as a Liberty fan. The New York Liberty playoff format, the new playoff format or no, does not make the playoffs without Tina Charles, period, point blank. Does not make the playoffs without Tina Charles. She was the seven-time player of the week in the East, the four-time – four-time player of the month out of four months. So she swept the player of the month award. She is the leader, the league leader in points and rebounds. And, and she did not receive most valuable player. I, I, I do not understand that. I don't understand how anyone can argue that there was someone more valuable to their individual team than Tina Charles. So she's getting my player of the year, she put the New York Liberty on her back. She did that on the court. She did that off the court when it comes to yet another thing that we'll mention a little bit later in our countdown and some of the, um, you know, and, and the, the WNBA players taking a stand for themselves and the communities that they um, affiliate themselves with and want to support. She, you want to talk about community service, um, putting uh, AED machines throughout New York City schools to make sure that unlike her her aunt, I believe it was, that no one dies because they didn't have adequate medical care to, to cover them when they're in cardiac arrest. This is a woman who is, is a perfect ambassador to the WNBA. Oh, and wait, she also has an Olympic gold medal to boot. Uh, Tina Charles giving you all the love. I feel like you want to talk about a snub. Yeah, I said it. WNBA snub of the year. Tina Charles not getting most valuable player. Boom. Mike <laughs> dropped. But not really, though, because this uh, mic is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, EA. So, obviously, obviously, um, we've had our debates on air, off air about NECA and, and Tina. So, I just wanted to, you know, bring it back up a little bit before the end of the year, just, just, just for old time's sake. Um, so, you talked about the gold medal. NECA had one this year. You talked about the scoring champion. I thought I thought that that NECA had a gold medal this year. NECA had no. Yeah, NECA had NECA had no gold medal. 
Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing right now. Sorry, Neca had a gold medal That's in 2014 right. with the World Championships. She didn't go. She didn't, she didn't go to Rio. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Um, but when you talk about Tina, this is this is where I was going. When you talk about Tina, she was the scoring champion. She did lead lead in rebounds. But when you talk about the importance of the team, without Tina, that team doesn't go right. Yes, that is what I said multiple so, times. So, and would you say the same without? Uh, excuse me, without NECA on L.A.? Uh, I don't think you can make this the same salient argument, no, because NECA well, has Candace Parker, um, and I don't think it's as easy an argument to make. So, no, I would not say that. So I guess my, my argument to counter that is 2015 for the Sparks. I mean, they struggled that year. They barely cracked 10 wins on the season, and NECA was out for most of that year. So is there, is there any chance that you say – I think Kyle brought this up before. Is if you switch teams, do you think that one is more successful than the other? Um, if you switch – if who switched teams? If NECA and Tina switched teams. Um, well, if they're given the same numbers, then L.A. is even better uh, than okay. they were without Tina Charles. Because, again, she's the leader uh, in the league, not in, in the East, but in the league um, when it comes to points and when it comes to uh, rebounds. So if you're talking about what NECA brings, Tina Charles also brings that. I think she also brings um, – you know, she has a little bit more um, – she's had to be a different player and had to be a leader and a kind of a jack-of-all-trades for New York. I think that she doesn't have to do that as much when she's on the – if she were on the Sparks because of what you get off of the bench from the Sparks. Um, I think she wouldn't have to log as many um, minutes if she were on the Sparks. So I think that, you know – I'm still going with Tina Charles. She put up numbers that were the best in the league. So arguably by that, just by the numbers, it wouldn't matter what team she's on because she's still going to be a star if she's leading the league. She's leading the entire league. So I would argue that that would put her in a position to be one of the best, if not the best, on the floor and on any given night on any given team because she already is doing that. That's a fair argument. So, Kyle, I'll bring you back in. What are your thoughts? Do you think um, – I, I know you picked Candace I think, Parker. I think Candace Parker has two gold medals, and I think that she was <laughs> on the, the list of the top 20 at 20 for the WNBA this year. So she's not just the greatest of this year. She's, she's within the top 20 of all time. So I, I'm sticking with my Candace, and the great thing about all of this is there's going to be another season in 2017, and we're going to get to argue about this all over again next year. <laughs> and Tina Charles and the New York Liberty can get played yet again. I'm telling you, man. Well, no well, love. Let's no hope, love. Let's, well, if they end up winning a championship, even if they don't end up winning a championship, let's, let's say they finish first EA and they go with a record five losses or something like that. It's possible. We'll see. I don't know. The six was in pretty early despite <laughs> Tina's numbers. And I really appreciate that. But, you know, maybe we just need to make sure everyone understands what most valuable player means. Most valuable player on the New York Liberty, or New York Liberty, excuse me, or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, you put Tina Charles on the Hell yeah, they're winning the title. 
All right. So you heard it here first. Biggest snub of 2016, Tina Charles, not getting the WNBA MVP. Um, all right. From basketball, let's move over to some soccer uh, or some football, as our friends would say. Uh, NWSL Player of the Year. We, we have some similarities here between the three of us. So I'll start off with Lynn Williams. I thought this season she was phenomenal, leading goal scorer on the year. Um, when you think about what Western New York was able to do, I thought there's some great players on the flash, but I thought Lynn Williams was the key player to making uh, that ship sail, if we're going to continue with, with the analogies here. Um, so I really, I, in seeing that performance in the NWSL championship and in the semifinals, as well as uh, a lot of Western New York flash games this year, I thought Lynn Williams was, was by far the player of the year. Uh, EA, I'll go over to you. I think Lynn Williams um, definitely made a name for herself in in the in the final run there. Um, but when you look at Western New York in particular, um, and really if you look at the 2016 season, there was one constant name for Western New York and one constant in the league, and that was Jessica McDonald. So Lynn Williams' teammate, Jessica McDonald, ends the season with um, – uh, she's third in goals behind only uh, Ojai and Williams, Lynn Williams. She is second in assists behind only Tobin Heath. And she is third in overall shots behind Lynn Williams and Kristen Press. So when you talk about someone being like a, a stalwart, if you will, for their team and really bringing, able to, to bring it, uh, Jessica McDonald is also uh, second shots on goal right after Kristen Press. Um I just really like what she was able to be for this team. You, you hear a lot going into um, the playoffs just about how maybe it's because she is a mother. Some made the argument, um, or maybe it's just because she's an awesome elite athlete that also happens to be a mother. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, anyway, the point being that she was able to be a rock. She was the rock for that team. And this is a young team, Western New York, a team that, you know, was the last team in the league to even get a coach. Didn't have a coach going into the draft, which coming coming up in just a few weeks here uh, or a few days um so i i just want to give propos to mcdonald because i don't know if western new york can do what they did without mcdonald being who she was throughout the longevity of the season and you know what the great thing about uh choosing a player of the year is, is that sometimes you don't have to choose one and so i chose lynn williams and jessica mcdonald together because I agree with you, Lou. I think if you look at just solely uh, who had the most goals, sure, I can I can say Lynn Williams, and I can say that she had a great uh, run in the playoffs, and she certainly helped them the most in the playoffs. But I also look at Jess McDonald, and what EA said is Jess McDonald was only one goal behind Lynn Williams, and she yeah. was two ahead of her in assists, so she actually had more points, and she had fewer shots to be able to get those points. And also, Jess McDonald was the, if we're going to talk about who was the addition to the team this year, mm-hmm. Jess McDonald was the addition to the team this year that changed Western right. New York from a seventh seed to a fourth seed to a champion. So I think I, I'm going to stick with both, but, but I can see the, <laughs> I can see the, uh, the value of both of them for the Western New York Flash, and it's clear why the Western New York Flash were the champions this year in the NWSL. 
Good wrap up, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And you know what? I think the great thing about that, Kyle, is if you ask either of them if they minded that they shared that Player of the Year award for us, they, they would not mind at all. They, they would definitely take that and support Western New York. So um, shout out to Lynn Williams and Jessica McDonald of the Western New York Flash. Paul Riley as well, the head coach who was hired uh, right before the season, who, who he, you know, headed that team, missed championship game. Um, so, I mean, so many great stories coming out of uh, the, the NWSL and Western New York Flash as well. Um, all right, for another league in the summer that we pay attention to and love here dearly, the National Pro Fast Pitch Player of the Year. Kyle, you know, I, I see what you did with your pick, but I'm going to use EA's argument here. If you take Jill Barrett out and you put her <laughs> anywhere else, she's going to put up those numbers. And what she was able to do for the Chicago Bandits this season was phenomenal. Uh, third in, in the league and on-base percentage. Uh, she led in home runs. I mean, played the position with only two errors all year long. Jill Barrett, hands down, player of the year. Um, I'd love to hear your argument about Kelly, but but I just I, this is going to be hard for me to move from this one. Kelly Kretschmann hit 447. She had 45 RBIs, 13 home runs. She, they walked her 33 times because they didn't want to face her. This is a player that dominated the game. When you hit 447 at this level, that is just pure domination. I, I don't know how you can go away from Kelly Kretschmann on this one. I mean, 447 was 35 points higher than the next person and 60 points higher from the third-place person. There's just no competition here. Kelly Kretschmann, clearly the player of the year this year in the NPF. Well, and oh, go ahead. that's... I was just going to say, I mean, what it sounds to me, uh, fellas, what it sounds like to me, excuse me, uh, is that we have the old offense versus defense argument here. And unfortunately, I'm not a good tiebreaker in this situation because I didn't I didn't get to follow um, pro fast pitches as, as much as you uh, two did and as closely, unfortunately. But I think um, the only thing that I will say is, um, which would, would sway me, um, just hearing your arguments is that the Chicago Bandits, when they lost Monica Abbott, um, a lot of people really—I don't think they expected Chicago to be able to get back to the final, let alone win it. Um, and what I have said when it came to Monica Abbott and her dominance is that you don't, unless she's striking everyone out and pitching perfect games every single time, you need to have someone that's going to be able to control the ball on the field. And I, I definitely have a defensive bias. So I don't know. I'm going with Jill on this, just, just from the two arguments that you made, um, you know, because you you can have a slugger and you need one of those too, but you have to be able to, when you're at this elite level and you have so many pitchers in particular that, that can dominate on any given game and go and, and go several innings and then pitch again the next day, especially in softball, which is, it's different than baseball. Um, I, I really, I respect the mastery of um, being able to play tight defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Kyle, I, it's hard. It, you know what? You're right. 
it's incredible to hit 447. Um, and and it, it was an incredible year for Kelly. But if you take Kelly out of that Florida team, Florida's still just as good. The, the Pride are, are going to make a championship without Kelly in that lineup. Whereas if you take Jill out, she played in every single game, all 53 games this year that Chicago played, Jill Barrett started. Um, so, and she had more hits than Kelly Crushman. Um, so if you're looking at the at-bats and you're looking at what they were able to do, um, along with, again, defensive play, I think Jill Barrett playing in every game is huge. Um, I, that's what gives it to me. But, hey, you know what? Like you said, there's no right or wrong answer here. Yeah, I understand Chicago won it all. You know, they won the Cold Cup this year, but but this was a, a pride team that went 40-14. and 14. I mean, they dominated all season. It's just unfortunate for them that they weren't able to pull it out in the end uh, because I don't know that this would be a question if, if they were to have won the Coles Cup this year. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, well, talking about teams that won the championship in their league, we both had players on a championship team for the United Women's Lacrosse League in their inaugural season, four teams uh, make, making their voyage um, on professional lacrosse or in professional lacrosse, and this was an incredible start to the season. We were able to watch a couple of games. Um, and so, Kyle, I'll start with you, and then I'll give you my pick. Sure. I mean, for me, I started with – the Long Island Sound goaltender, Devin Wills. I I think she just had an unbelievable year this year in goal. I I think probably the hardest uh, goal position th- that it, there is in sports. I think when you think about how fast the, the ball is coming in and the ratio of that ball versus the size of the net, I mean, to, to do what she did this year and, and go 6-1 and one for the Long Island Sound and, and be – almost two points better with the uh, goals against average than any other goaltender in the league. It was clear that she was a huge piece of, of the Long Island Sound victory this year. And that's, that's, I, I like that. You know, I, again, I, I went that route on the hockey way, but this, this, in this league um, and the way the United Women's Lacrosse League is trying to promote it, it's fun and it, it's exciting. So, seeing a lot of scoring, seeing a lot of, you know, the fancy assists that we got to see this year, uh, whether it was from Kayla Trainer or Kara Mupo, there were so many great performances and great, you know, great scorers, great assisters. Um, but I had to go with the Long Island Sound as well, and I had to go with Katrina Dowd. And I know a lot of Aly- Alyssa Leonard fans out there are going to be like, well, Alyssa Leonard was great too. Um, but, you know, Dowd finished the season with 18 goals, 11 assists, uh, 29 total points, which was tied for most in the league. You talked about that run that they went on at the end of the season. You know, they, they lost to Boston, and then after that loss to Boston, they just figured it out. Um, and I know EA likes this because it's, it's a New York team. Um, so, EA, your Long Island Sound will win a championship. What were your thoughts this season? Um, and, again, unfortunately, just a um, a league that I wasn't able to, to keep up with. I, I mean, but – I don't know how you can go wrong with, with anyone from the sound. I mean, besides a few hiccups uh, with, I believe it was Boston. Um, you know, this is a team that, that dominated um, and uh, very much like that other Boston team and that other league we talked about, um, you know, really came, came to play and, and made um, an indelible mark on the first season. Um, you know, so uh, I think that, um you know, it, it's just one of those things, you know, 
it's kind of like the argument I make, I guess, when you have Brittany Ott in goal. Um, and, and it's a little bit of a different sport. Um, so, but, you know, Ott is, is amazing and puts up really great numbers. Um, and, and I, you know, she, she gets a lot of credit because she's net, but her team, you know, is, is doing what they have to do as well. So the only, um, I would transfer that over is that, you know, Long Island was really putting up good numbers offensively. Um, and so um, I think that, you know, maybe it would be nice to give a little bit of, of uh, shine to the goalie just because, you know, in order to keep the, that lopsided score, she's, she's got to make some stops. Um, so I, I go back and forth on this one. But as you said, it's all good because it's all New York, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, from the lacrosse league, let's go over to tennis and the WTA player of the year. Kyle, we were in agreement on this one. We both said Angelique Kerber, and it's hard to argue that with the year that she had. We talked about it at the beginning uh, and what she was able to do during our honorable mentions. But, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on Kerber's performance this season? Yeah, I mean, we've been asking for a while who would be able to step up and and uh, compete with Serena Williams, and this was certainly Kerber's year to do that. And she proved herself time and time again, going twenty and two on the on the year, and winning two majors. Which you know, the the third one that she lost to Serena, you know, she was in the finals, she was there, and unfortunately just couldn't pull it out in Wimbledon, um, but. You know, just a great win in Australia, great win in the U.S. Open. And I think that this is a, a, a player who is certainly, if she isn't in her prime, she's about to start her prime because she's just on fire now and, and she's moving in the right direction each year. And I, I'm just excited to see what she can do in 2017 now. Absolutely. Three titles, three WTA titles. Uh, on the year, over ten million in prize money, a sixty-three and eighteen career. Oh, excuse me, sixty-three and eighteen record for the year. Brings her over five hundred, so five hundred and twenty overall victories uh, for Kerber. And, and again, we did mention that she did lose to Dominika Sibukova in the WTA finals, but finished the season ranked number one uh, in WTA tennis. Uh, Kyle, let's move over to another sport. Let's go to golf and the w excuse me the lpga player of the year for golf yeah this was for me um but when i looked into kind of the the way that people were winning or the the tournaments that that you expect certain people to win um we didn't really have in my opinion a dominant presence this year um there was in the majors um, you know, there was a different winner for each of the majors. So there wasn't really something that I could point to and say, well, she really had a great year. But when I think about this year, I think about somebody new that stepped onto the stage and had just an unbelievable year. And, and if she continues to do what she's doing, uh, she's going to win a lot of majors next year or the year after. And that's Chunin G uh, out of South Korea. She had just an unbelievable rookie year this year. Uh, she was the scoring leader, scoring the lowest out of everybody. Um, she, she just, to me, I felt like when when she was on, she was uh, she was the one that people were starting to chase, and that's tough to say for a rookie. Um, but you know, 19 events this year, and and you know, that's just the start. So if she continues that into next year, 
um, I think we're going to see a lot more of, of her on the, on the winning uh, uh, tally board. Absolutely. And that's a, that's actually a really great pick Colin. You know, I think mine is more, um, you, you kind of assume mine with her winning the CME globe championship this, this year. And that's Ariana Jutanagarn. Um, you know, the thing about Jutanagarn that kind of put her over for me is she started the season uh, at the Pure Civil Bahamas Classic, and she was cut, Kyle. She was, you know, she didn't make the she, – she, I think she finished with a 78, so she was like five over. Um, and then after that, her performances kind of got better. She finished tied for fourth in, I think, March. Um, and, and then in late March, she got another fourth-place finish. It was April where she kind of played a little bit better, um, got at the end of April a sixth-place finish going into May – she finished first in three straight tournaments. So the Yokohama Tire Classic, the King's Meal Championship, and the Volvic Championship, she won. And then she finished in third. So that, that shot her up the rankings. That brought her in the conversation. Um, and, and after that, you kind of saw this battle between her, MB Park, uh, and Lydia Ko. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know, just to see these three players battling it out. Um, this is where it turned for me. She, she played phenomenal almost the rest of the year, but when she went to the Olympics, she, she had a leg injury. I think it was a right knee injury. Um, and she, you know, she withdrew. She said, Hey, I, I want to focus more on the regular season. Um, than I guess winning, you know, than winning a medal, uh, th- that ended up p- paying off for her mightily. She w- won back-to-back tournaments in uh, late August, uh, another third place and fourth place finish in, in October, so I had to give it to her. She finished the season number one in the CME Tour Championship. She finished fourth in that tournament specifically. Uh, so I had to give it to, 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 to Ariana Jutanagarn um, and her performance this year. Yeah, and, and as you said, she had she had a great year this year as well. And, and certainly um, when you look at, at all of the tournaments that she did win, um, you know, she did put herself in a good position uh, this year, I'm just concerned, as you said, with the injury, uh, I'm concerned how that's going to factor into to next year as well, where, like you said, I think um, NG just has the opportunity to continue to grow from here. So we'll see. Absolutely. It's going to come right, right around the corner in January again. Yep, the Pure Silk Bahamas tournament starting off the year in late January. So we'll we'll keep you updated on LPGA News here on MyW Sports. Um, all right, let's get this football action done now, Kyle. Again, we talked about it. It feels like it was so long ago that we had football to talk about. So I'm glad that we get to do our player of the year for both the IWFL and the WFA. Let's start with the Independent Women's Football League. I went with the champion Utah Falcons, Louise Bean. She was phenomenal all year, Kyle. Only three interceptions all season long. Three interceptions. This is a team that played game in and game out against great opponents. Uh, won the WFL championship, and I think that has to uh, was was in large part to Louise Bean and her performance at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, this was a tough one to go with, and and I hope Colette, uh, I hope she's not listening tonight. But I had to go with Crystal Ninas. Um, <laughs> you know, she had a great pick six against the Madison Blaze earlier in the season. And sure enough, um, you know, it came down to the wire. Uh, it looked like the New York Sharks were about to win and move on in the playoffs. And Crystal Ninas picked it off uh, and, and ran it back the entire field uh, to, to score and win for the Vixen in just unbelievable fashion and send them on into the, the championship. 
So I, I had to go with, with Crystal Ninas this year, not just for that play, but for, for other interceptions and pick sixes she had throughout the year as well. Yeah, Vixen were a quality team this year, and that defense was a big reason why. And Nina's had a team leading, I believe, six or seven picks on the year. Um, so that was huge for them, and, and their success just ran into a really good Utah Falcons team uh, in the championship. All right, let's move over to the WFA, Kyle. I have to put this out there. This, this I'm sorry. You know, the two works. It, it's a great idea, but I just wanted to do a, a sole honorable mention to Allison Cahill of the Boston <laughs> Renegades. Um her statistics, Kyle, beat everybody's final regular season statistics, and she was injured midway through the season. Um, so, you know, she had over 1,700 yards, uh, over 20 touchdowns, less than three picks. Her numbers were phenomenal. And to think what Boston would be able to do without her, I mean, with her, um, I, I mean, it blows my mind. So I had to do an honorable mention there, and I know you have some, some words as well. Absolutely. I mean, for for Cahill to, to take that Boston team, and, and they played so well all year long, and, and they were right in the thick of it with the Divas early in the season, and you just saw that if they had another opportunity at the Divas, they might have been able to beat them uh, in the playoffs, and, and unfortunately, Cahill goes down, she gets injured, isn't able to continue, and even still, the Renegades make it to the, the National Conference Championship game. Um, and play the the DC Divas again there, unfortunately falling in in that game. Um, but you know, with Cahill under center, that could have been a completely different game uh, for the Boston Renegades, and and a reason why I'm very excited for the 2017 season to start this year, so we can see hopefully Cahill back healthy and and firing on all cylinders again. Yeah, that Boston team is going to be fun to watch. But the team that was fun to watch this season was the D.C. Divas. We talked about them uh, having a slow start during our honorable mentions. and But they ended the season on a high note, winning the championship. And we both agreed on who the player of the year should be. Uh, so I'll let you start off, Kyle. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, this is a – the Divas were a team this year that lost in the first game of the season to the Dallas Elite. So – you know, they play a great season after that. They have some couple of great games, battles with Boston, battle with Chicago. Um, you know, they have to face off with the Pittsburgh Passion uh, in the first round of the, the uh, playoffs. They, they get through the Renegades, as I said, without Cahill. And then they have to face um, the, the Elite again in the finals. And they had, they had beaten them the previous year, but they lost this year. And Hamlin goes in and tells the team, we're going to win this game. And she takes them on her back by all means and, and wins that game. Uh, a very, very close game. Uh, I think it was a two point game um, over the Dallas elite. And just, it, it was Alice Hamlin. Um, I know they had some great running backs and, and, and she was throwing to some great wide receivers this year, but the leadership that, that she had for this team was just unbelievable. So I had to go with Allison Hamlin, um, and and if if Cahill were healthy, maybe it would have been different. But without Cahill, there was there was no other uh, option here. I think Hamlin was was the right choice. Absolutely, and you know to add to that, you, you talk about what do you see um, after that that second loss? They realized you know where they needed to go with their team, uh, and Hamlin had a big big role to play in that conversation. So her leadership skills on that team also add to that, and, and the success of what the Divas have been able to do since moving over to the WFA in the past two years has also translated uh, through Hamlin. So 
Big shout-out to Allison Hamlin, Crystal Nunez, and Luis Bean uh, for our Football Players of the Year in the IWFL in the WFA. All right, so we have other players that we weren't able to mention here. Um, so our kind of last sequence of Player of the Year, I'll go first. And, I, I mean, for me, it was Monica Puig for Puerto Rico um, winning the gold in women's tennis in the Rio Olympics. She was only – excuse me, she's one of only two unseated players to win the championship since tennis was reintroduced in the Olympics in 1988. Uh, first gold medalist for Puerto Rico, ninth overall medalist for our country. So um, she, she took out Angelique Kerber. She defeated two top five opponents. Uh, her run in the Olympics was phenomenal. So my player of the year goes to uh, Monica Puig of Puerto Rico. All right, and I am also going to go with an Olympian, a Paralympian, and I'm going to go with Tatiana McFadden. Tatiana McFadden, not only did she compete in every single road race in the Rio Olympics, winning four gold medals um, out of, I believe it was seven opportunities, then several months after, well, first she uh, competed in, uh, I believe it was Chicago, and then again in the New York City Marathon to complete her fourth, one, two, three, fourth Grand Slam, winning London, Chicago, Boston, and New York for the fourth year consecutive. And she won the fourth consecutive Grand Slam the same year that she competed in every road race in the Paralympic Games, winning four gold medals. That is pure dominance. She is an absolute delight to speak with, a great ambassador for the Paralympic Games. Um, The day after she uh, arrived to the United States from Rio de Janeiro, she came to New York City, of all places, and donated wheelchairs to to wheelchair racers here in New York City, who then got to compete in the first ever junior division. There was a a junior sprint at the New York City Marathon. so Tatiana McFadden gets my vote. And, and I had to go with Katie Ledecky and her performance in the Olympics this summer. Uh, four gold medals overall. She set the world record in the 800-meter and the 400-meter freestyle, uh, blew away her own record by over a second, um, and was also uh, winning the 800, the 400, and the 200. She's the first uh, swimmer to do that since the 1968 Olympics. So shout out to Katie Ledecky. Absolutely. And also Ledecky broke the, I think it was the 10,050 uh, NCAA record when she got back from the Olympics. So talk about not not only going on the international stage but uh, and the world championship stage, but the collegiate stage, she's, she's breaking records as well. So shout out to Katie Ledecky for that as well. Um, all right. So the moment everybody's been waiting for, uh, the MyW Sports Top 10 Moments from 2016. There are plenty other moments um, that we'll get to on our list as well that, that aren't on the top 10 and that we know are on plenty of your list, but these are the ones that we felt um, with votes from the fans and our staff here at MyW Sports were the top 10. So without further ado, let's get right into our list. The number 10 uh, moment in 2016 or moments would be um, Allison Cahill, who we just mentioned of the WFA, she reached the career milestone, 100 career victories. She's the first quarterback to do so. Carolyn Willette of Les Canadians, 
of Montreal in the CWHL. She just reached 300 career or over 300 career points to be the leading scorer in CWHL history uh, and from what most people are saying, professional hockey history. Uh, Kelsey Plum, the all-time leading scorer in Pac-12 history, um, just hit that notch uh, less than a month ago, so shout-out to Kelsey Plum. Katie Ledecky destroying world records and collegiate records at the 2016 Rio Olympics. A lot of great stuff happening uh, this year, a lot of historic milestones, a lot of players hitting career milestones. So either of you, any thoughts on number 10? No, I mean, that's that's a big list. I mean, that that's we've had so many different records broken this year, so many great performances that have been career, uh, that have taken a full career to, to pass, surpass. And, uh, you know, those are just some of the great uh, moments that happened in 2016. So that, that was awesome. Yeah, I can't argue with that list at all. Um, not at all. Absolutely. And, so. and moving on. Ooh. Yep, and Go moving ahead, on to number nine, the the uh, speaking of great performances and dominating performances, the final five, the uh, U.S. gymnastics team uh, this year dominated the 2016 Olympic gymnastics events, winning four gold medals and four silver silver medals. Um, and some of these um, some of these exercises were just not even close. The what Simone Biles and and her team were able to do this summer was just unbelievable and it's going to be very uh, tough to break some of some of the things that they did this year. Yes, the final five indeed. Uh, excellent selection and we're going to stay in Rio for a little bit. Mentioned her just a moment ago. Tatiana McFadden, as I mentioned, wins her fourth consecutive Grand Slam only two months after competing in every road race in the 2016 Paralympics. This is a woman who has dominated the road and uh, at least in in Russia, so at the Sochi Winter Olympics, was also able to medal uh, on behalf of Team USA there. Uh, it was some, somewhat of a homecoming for her. For her, She was born in Russia, able to be, meet her birth mother and have her entire family in Russia. When I asked her uh, in New York City if we'd see her in 2018, she said she was going to take a vacation first before she made any decisions. So maybe let's be on the lookout to see if we see Tatiana McFadden making a case for herself in 2018 as well. And then we go on to number seven, uh, and we're going back to the WNBA. Candace Parker snubbed from the U.S. national team, also snubbed from WNBA first team and WNBA second team, but she gets the last laugh. She is WNBA. She is a WNBA champion, her first time as a WNBA champion, and took her team all the way, riding on the memories and all of the, the um, just the skills on and off the court that her beloved coach, Pat Summit, taught her. So congratulations to Candace Parker and the Los Angeles Sparks. Yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, just a, a great performance for her in the, in the NBA Finals and just a Overall, for her, again, she overcame so much to, to be there. Uh, moving on to number six, the Boston Pride win the inaugural Isabel Cup. And also, uh, in doing so, they have not lost since January 3rd of this year, of 2016. And that gives them now 19 wins in a row, and they have broken the professional hockey 
men, women, doesn't matter who it is, the professional hockey uh, record for the most wins in a row. So congratulations to the Boston Pride for uh, taking not only the Isabel Cup, but breaking records along the way. Absolutely. Record win streak. Last loss was to the Buffalo Buttes. Is that right? That is correct. In overtime. We'll see what happens on January 7th. We'll see what happens on January 7th. (laughs) It's going to be a great game. Um, That'll be for 2017. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Moving on to number five, and this was huge when it happened. Uh, Monica Abbott signs a $1 million contract with the newly expansion team, or the new expansion team, uh, the Scrapyard Dogs, based out of the Houston area for the National Pro Fast Pitch. Um, it's a six-year contract expected to pay her $1 million. It's the first multi-million, or excuse me, first million-dollar contract in the history of the league, um, which started its 13th season. This past year will be going into its 14th. Um, the, the contract is believed to be the most lucrative paid by an American professional franchise to an active female athlete in a team sport. So shout out to Monica Abbott. Um, this is an incredible, this was an incredible, is an incredible, uh, feat for her and women in athletics. So big shout out there to the scrapyard dogs for making it happen. The league for, um, also making it happen and Monica Abbott for her, career and what she was able to do to um, to earn that contract. And, now, and let's make sure okay. that it's a beginning and not an end. <laughs> right, exactly. And on that, uh, just, just uh, if you will, for, for the record, uh, Lewis, I just, I just want to go over this again. So this is Monica Abbott. She is a Olympian. Okay. Uh, playing a in a domestic league um a domestic league that does not currently um have a national team will be getting that back the next olympics or yes the next the next cycle um so this is a a national team member playing in the domestic league doesn't have access to her games being broadcast um, again, not in a national team circuit, um, so doesn't have exposure to broadcast deals at that point. Um, I think you could argue safely that the national pro fast pitch is not necessarily drawing crowds. They say the U.S. women's soccer team might be, uh, but was able to secure a $1 million contract with the support of the domestic league and sponsors. And the reason I really want to tee up Monica Abbott and how important her contract is, is because of the contrast of what comes in number four on our list. And we're going to spend some time with this one. The U.S. Women's National Team files an EEOC complaint. This is a complaint where they are are arguing that they are being discriminated against because of their gender, solely because of their gender by their employer. Who, you may ask, is their employer? Well, I'll tell you who their employer is. Their employer is the United States Soccer Federation, the USSF. So we have the complaint is filed. The women are arguing that in a cycle, um, that's a four-year cycle that the USSF follows, that they were more successful than the men's side, that they had a more winning record, than the men's side, but were not compensated, not even equally 
to the men's team that underperforms according to um, the, the accomplishments of the women's national team. This is a cycle that included yet another Olympic gold medal. It included, um, it included uh, the 2015 World Cup uh, and um, multiple sellouts for international friendlies on American soil. So we see that there, again, are multiple layers to this. Uh, we are going into the end of the year, and the two sides have not come to an agreement uh, for the new uh, collective bargaining agreement. Um, and so we're at a point where we could potentially see in 2017 the World Cup winning, 2015 World Cup winning U.S. women's national team uh, who hosted the first ever She Believes Cup here domestically not take the, the pitch. Um, so we have the letter from Hope Solo that just recently came out uh, a few months ago. We had the women's national team uh, take to 60 minutes to talk about their complaint. And as I mentioned, the collective bargaining agreement ends at the end of the year on the 31st. But we heard just today that the U.S. women's national team has decided to part ways, if you will, with their legal counsel. So what this means, we're not exactly sure. Uh, usually when you part ways with your lawyer, uh, you're, you're not happy with um, the direction they were taking, let's say. For them to part ways so close to the end of the collective bargaining agreement. I mean, it would be simply speculation on what that actually means right now. Um, but what we also have to remember, I mentioned Hope Solo, and she had an amazing uh, letter that she posted um, online. We have to remember that Hope Solo, a staunch advocate for equality uh, and gender equity, is no longer an employee of the USSF. She was fired, her contract terminated. And so what Fellas, do we feel that will do you feel that will mean for this collective bargaining agreement that now is looking like it is going to surpass the deadline and go into 2017? Well, I think it's a, a great start, and I think that there needs to be. We've talked a lot about this, and I, I believe that there there has to be uh, there has to be either we're not going to play, um, or you know some some sort of there has to be some leverage on the player's side and they're not getting what they should be getting. I mean, it's clear when you look at what they're being paid, what they've done, the conditions that they're playing in, you know, we just, we just heard of, of Alex Morgan leaving now to go play uh, internationally so that she can play on a, a better pitch on a better team. Um, you know, all of these things, there has to be a stand. There has to be an opportunity for players to just say, you know what? Until we get what we want, you're not going to take advantage of us playing for you under your name. And so, Louis, I want to kick over to you. In Hope Solo's letter that she released, I believe it was yesterday, she fears that um, that this um, whatever is happening with the the um, negotiations, if you will, and I'm definitely putting air quotes up in the air. Um, she fears that you know this stalling or whatever tactics are happening, that it might um, freeze uh, some of the current players on the team and, and um, dissuade them from taking this all the way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think the, the quote that I took out of it was um, putting pressure, I think, uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, 
what was put in there. And I think that's, that's really the issue is, you know, nobody wants to work for somebody who's putting so much pressure on them. Um, and especially when it's a battle that you feel like you deserve. And this is the thing with the whole women's national team that bothers me is you have a team, a franchise, looking at it as a business person, you have this, this organization that makes you a bunch of money. They draw in record crowds, more than the mm-hmm. men's team. Um, mm-hmm. They have players who play domestically because they want to grow the game here, not because it's financially suitable. It's because mm-hmm. they want to grow the game here. Uh, because right. financially they could go anywhere else in the world and do way better than they're doing here. Um, so and it bothers me because you look at what this team has accomplished, not only in our generation, but from the start, what, what it's grown to be. Um, and it, it's, it's incredible that we're here at this point still arguing about it. Um, why haven't sponsors stepped up and say, hey, you know, pay these women what they deserve or we're pulling our sponsorships. Fans are sitting here saying we're not going to any more games to, to put money in the pocket of the USSF because the players aren't getting that money. So there's a whole bunch of things that are going on here that are pulling not not only the business aspect and, and what players deserve, but you're making fans make a decision on, you know, who they want to support in this battle. Um, and, and, and that's what really bothers me about it. But I agree with what Kyle said is you have to be willing to, if you're the USSF, you have to be willing to, you know, do what's right here and, and set a precedent. You have an opportunity not only to set a national precedent, but an international precedent. We know a lot of countries that, uh, you know, were highlighted this year about their soccer uh, programs, whether it's Colombia, Costa Rica, Afghanistan. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many teams that look to the U.S. for, you know, that example, to be that, 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 that image of what you want their, their team and, and their organization to be. And this whole chaos right. gives, gives them that wrong image. And and just as we wrap up, um, because we we're only at number four, <laughs> um, believe it or not, um, I just want to get back to what Hope Solo said. I think uh, Louis, you said so many great things, but there's one thing that really stood out to me. And she, and Hope Solo, this is her speaking um, uh, for good sports in her own words. Um, she has said, and I quote, that in the past. Um, uh, this is the but U.S. soccer has said to the U.S. women's national team, quote, this is the budget that we're willing to spend on the women's team for the next four years. Within that budget, within that money that's allotted to the women's team, we will let you guys tell us how you want to allocate it. Uh, Hope Solo goes on to say, that's not negotiating. That's our employer telling us what the numbers are going to be and then us trying to put the puzzle together and figure out how to make it work. And I think that is salient for so many reasons. I know we have more to get to on the countdown, but just put a pin, uh, a placeholder on that particular statement as it comes to some of the other women's leagues and teams and what we know is happening, particularly for women's ice hockey. But that's only number four, folks. So we're going to move on, and I'm going to kick it over to you, Lewis. Absolutely. And, you know, another – I'm sorry just to go back to it, but another great quote that I read, EA, was um, – and this was from Hope Solo. We are the front runners, and if we push for change, we can set a precedent that will lead other federations to follow suit. And just drop the mic. Just drop the mic. <laughs> but that, you know, exactly, exactly. We are about the growth of the game. Um, well, speaking of the growth of the game, we saw one of the greatest upsets, oh my in my goodness. opinion, um, of, <laughs> of, of the Olympics uh, this year, and that was Team Sweden taking down not one, 
but two perennial powers in Team USA in the quarterfinals, Team Brazil in the semifinals, both in PKs and advanced to the Olympic final against Germany. Germany was a great team. You have to give um, Team Germany a, a lot of credit for what they were able to do. They won the gold. But uh, for number three, to take out two of the great powers, uh, you know, former USA coach going up against her former team, winning in PKs, uh, Team Sweden, and their upset of two major powerhouses in soccer and international soccer, USA Brazil, ends up at number three on our list. Any thoughts on this one, EA? Oh, my goodness. These games, you know, I just want to respectfully to all of the U.S. fans out there, I hope that one day, you can just put your fanboy, your fangirl, your fan person hat just to the side. Just put it on the shelf for a little bit and respect how exciting these games were. Uh, you know, there was a lot of hate that was being slung for, for Team Sweden and Pia, who used to coach the United States team. Um, but I just hope that one day the the women's soccer world will be able to appreciate what Sweden did and how they're evolving the game. When you can, as you said, oust not only the United States, not only Brazil in Brazil, but you do it back to back on penalties. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Where's Dick Vitale? Get him on the phone. This man <laughs> would be pumped up and excited just as if he was watching NCAA basketball, baby, because that was amazing soccer. In the Olympics, nonetheless, number three on the list. And it's tough for fans to be able to do that when the goaltender right afterwards says that it was a a cheap way to win. And, you know, I I hear what you're saying, EA, and I wish it as well that that people can see that this was exciting and that, that... the closeness of these games and the closeness of the, the teams now across the world uh, is only going to lead to better soccer, not only, you know, for this Olympics, but for the next world cup, for the next, for, for any time that we get to see teams go head to head. If we haven't, you know, when we get to see hopefully another, she believes cup, you know, we'll be able to see these great teams go head to head. And, and that's a great thing. Indeed. Indeed. And so, you know, we um, speaking of of players using their voices. Hope Solo, maybe you wish she would have said things a little bit differently about Team Sweden. Um, but uh, we're going to go to the WNBA twentieth season WNBA. Uh, you know, new president coming in, lots uh, of media exposure, but. Unfortunately, 2016 was also riddled with a lot of unrest and unease in communities across the country, certainly across the world. But we're going to talk domestically just for a minute. And so WNBA players took um, took to the court and used their voices in ways to be able to um, stand up, particularly for Black Lives Matter and violence as it occurs between the, the Black community, communities of color, and law enforcement. And so it was first the, the Minnesota Lynx who wore shirts honoring the Dallas Five, the, the slain police officers, while also honoring um, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling on their shirts using the hashtag Black Lives Matter. That spurred other teams to do the same, including the Indiana Fever, the Phoenix Mercury, and the New York Liberty, who wore shirts multiple times throughout the season, uh, led 
to fines. Uh, and players, particularly from those last three teams, Indiana, New York, and Phoenix, would be fined for each instance that they wore a shirt that was outside of uh, what was sanctioned from the league, the WNBA and the NBA. Um, and the particular, uh, this that's just a little bit of background, but the particular event that is is making our top two on this list is when the Indiana Fever and the New York Liberty arrange a media blackout, refusing to talk about anything except Black Lives Matter. And just as a little more context, this is at New York. So in Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, on the day that Tamika Catchings, yes, the Tamika Catchings, five-time gold medalist, a retired Tamika Catching plays her catchings, excuse me, plays her last regular season and what would be ultimately her last game ever in the garden. And she and the Indiana Fever and the New York Liberty refused to talk about anything, including Tamika Catching's retirement, the twentieth season of the WNBA, or the upcoming Olympics, which was just weeks away. And instead, they say that they're only going to talk about Black Lives Matter because they would not allow their voices to be silenced. They didn't appreciate the fines that came from the league. They tried to work with the league because they felt that this cause was something that as Black women, as over 75% of the league identifying as Black women or women of color, that they needed to take a stand and felt very strong that they needed to take a stand. And when the, the league was not willing at the time to work with them. They did it anyway. They did it anyway. Um, and so that makes number two on our list. We also want to to toss into the mix Megan Rapino. Now Megan Rapino has taken a knee, not only at um, at the um, at her NWSL games. Um, with the Seattle Reign, but she also did so while with the U.S. Women's National Team for, for international friendlies here in the United States, getting a lot of flack as, um, you know, she does not identify as a woman of color, but felt as a white woman, as a woman who does identify as gay, that this was an opportunity for her to use her platform, one, to learn more about the issue of Black Lives Matter and the issues that surround it, but also to bring attention to a movement. So number two, again, we're focusing uh, first on the media blackout that the WNBA um, held in New York, um, and then also incorporating Megan Rapino using her voice, and both uh, athletes in both instances getting a lot of flack from their, either their league, their federation, and certainly from their fans. This is still a contentious topic. Um, however, the WNBA banding together and the NWSL and national team supporting Megan Rapinoe's decision to take a knee um, is number two on our list. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw you and Kyle kind of going back and forth earlier. Um, there's, there's a lot to go into these storylines. And there's, as you mentioned, EA, there's still live debates and, and uh, passionate debates going, going on about, um, you know, the, the league and how they handled it, how the players handled it, and, and how the USSF Federation um, is, is or handled uh, Rapino. So I, I thought this was great for number two. And, you know, it, it also was great for the players to, to take a stand. And, and it's something that we see more and more 
now, um, and we saw it before in, in history, but now it seems like there's more of this calling for athletes to take a stand uh, in social injustices or things that are going on in the world. Uh, and that's, that's great for me. You know, I always look up to athletes growing up, and I know there are a lot of people who, who do the same, and to have these kind of athletes kind of take a stand and do what, whether it's the WNBA teams or Rapino was doing, um, and even other athletes everywhere. Um, I, I thought it was, it was inspirational for one, but also uh, it got the dialogue started, and I think that's one of the big things that we want to do in, in you know, trying to create equality is get the dialogue started. Um, and I thought these were some great picks. Uh, Kyle, what were your thoughts on number two? You, you just said it. You know, it, it's, it was such a great year for, for people to start to use their voices a little bit more, use the, the power that they have as athletes to use their voice to begin these conversations. Now, the problem is these conversations cannot end. They, they need to continue into 2017 and beyond because it, it was great that, you know, Indiana and New York were able to, uh, you know, do something to, to put their foot down and say, no, we're, we're not discussing anything other than this. And, mm-hmm. and things like that need to continue. People can't forget about what was said this year. People can't forget about um, different working conditions that, that Hope Solo showed people that mm-hmm. were, were not equivalent to what everybody else was getting. And, you know, people can't forget about the the police brutality and some of the other things this year that have come that have been at the forefront of all of society and and they were at the forefront of everybody's mind even athletes even players that that you know they may go and play their game but they're humans too and they these things well and we all need to continue to talk about these topics absolutely and i just want to close out number two quickly with a quote from swin cash who we know uh retired this season at her retirement ceremony in Madison Square Garden. She said, thank you all so much. And one of my proudest moments, if you want to know, one of my proudest moments for me in the WNBA is the fact that over the month of July into August, 144 women stood and said, we have a voice. We want to talk about issues. The WNBA has a platform and we're going to use it. And if you want to know my proudest moment, that's my proudest moment. We're going to make you see us. We're not invisible. Amen. That, that's just awesome. That That is just great. Um, all right. So I, I, just, I, Kyle, I mean, go take, take number one. That's a perfect quote, EA. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I mean, that's Swin said it, so you know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, Kyle, let's, let's let the fans know what was our number one moment of 2016. And number one, the 2016 top moment, uh, as voted by us and some of the fans as well, uh, this year, Brianna Stewart and the Yukon Huskies set a record as they will be known as, those, those seniors that graduated, will be known as one of the only teams to ever win four straight national championships. Um, it has not been done yet, and now... Um, it, it can't be broken because you can't play for more than four years. So congratulations to those players and the UConn Huskies for just great, unbelievable basketball for, for not only 2016, but for, uh, for four years. And, and the streak that was begun with those players still continues today. Uh, they are playing tonight, but as of press time right now, uh, UConn has not lost 
uh, in 2016. Um, and beyond that as well, those, as I mentioned, those seniors, Stuart, uh, Morgan Tuck, and Mariah Jefferson were drafted as well, number one, two, and three in the WNBA draft, and have already made a huge impact at the professional level as well. Absolutely. EA, this was a phenomenal year, and we're all UConn Husky fans, and we all kind of um, knew about Brianna Stewart, but to see them go one, two, three in the WNBA draft, to see them in the WNBA this year, to see what Gino has been able to do with this program year in and year out, what are your thoughts about number one? I mean, it was an amazing list. Um, you know, I think especially coming down to that top four, any one of those um, could have could have taken the cake. Really, well, I mean, really the top five, I would argue for sure. Um, but but when you look at again the longevity, um, the the streaks that UConn has had and has made headlines for don't happen without. The, the senior class um, without their leadership throughout their time. And I know we're giving Stewie uh, Jefferson and Tuck a lot of love and, and de- deservedly so. I mean, going one, two, three in the WNBA draft, that's never happened before. Um, but you also have to remember the, you know, the, the players that, um, that were on that bench that also graduated with Tuck Jefferson and Stewart, uh, you know, the players that aren't going to make the WNBA or haven't made the WNBA coming out of UConn. Um, and and I think this UConn Huskies team that we see now, uh, the, the residue of, of what the leaders, the senior class in toto, if you will, um, was able to do is, is really um, showing in, in the current UConn Huskies team that, again, on paper, and we've argued about this, um, makes some people nervous as far as being able to live up to the dominance of UConn. But when you beat the UCLA record for most consecutive wins and potentially could do it again um what is there to be said and you look at that core and it's that that senior class that senior class that won four consecutive titles um that's that's amazing absolutely and uh, you know what i would add to that is when you think about what uconn and i know this is supposed to be a yearly thing but to cap off that four straight, that fourth straight national championship, um, it's only been done one other time um, in history of basketball or collegiate basketball, and that was with UCLA. Um, mm-hmm. UCLA won ten championships in, in twelve years, from '64 to '75, um, and one of the one of the incredible things that I, I got to grow up and watch was Glory, uh, Glory, Glory. I think it was Glory, uh, Glory Road. Excuse me. Um, and it's on the Texas Western 66 basketball team, first all-African-American starting five for Texas Western, beating Kentucky. And I had thought that Kentucky was this big powerhouse, um, but it was really UCLA. And that's what I'm thinking now. Is like I grew up in the 90s where it was like Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Um, and then like late, I want to say late 1999, I guess, or 19, uh, 2000s is when Connecticut came on the scene. And they've won 11 national championships um, it's since 2000. And when you think about that dominance, that what they've been able to do um, and to cap it off in 2016 with a fourth straight, something that's never been done in collegiate basketball, uh, you have to give credit where credit is due. And, and that's why I think that was number one on my list. And then you guys added the cherry on top with 
Tuck, Jefferson, and Stewart being drafted in the WNBA draft. Uh, one, two, and three, that's never been done in any professional league from one team. So I just thought that that was phenomenal as well. So um, it, it's incredible. EA, you said it perfectly as well. All these could be number one on any of our lists, uh, and we'll get to that in a moment. But this was definitely one of the biggest moments of 2016, uh, and we hope that you enjoyed our top ten list. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts before we move on to our personal ones? No, I'm, I'm eager to see which one of ours didn't uh, quite make the, the top ten. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I'll get first, uh, since I'm first on the rundown. A lot of great moments. We talked about it. UConn, uh, USA losing to Sweden, um, and Sweden beating Brazil. A lot of great uh, milestones with Allison Cahill, 100 career victories. But for me, I had three moments that didn't make our list. Um, my number one moment out of the, the three that I have here has to be Lynn Williams, the header. Um, the header mm. to tie it in extra time of extra time. I mean, chills. I still get chills. That that has to be yeah. one of the greatest plays ever, one of the greatest moments ever. Um, it, when you talk about West New York doing everything they can to get to a championship, uh, the spirit, having it in their grasp, and, you know, mm-hmm. with just seconds, just literally seconds on the clock, Lynn Williams comes out of nowhere and puts a head on the ball and it goes in the back of the net. Uh, they end up winning the NWSL title. So I thought that was phenomenal. Kyle, you talked about Cristalinas. I mean, it, it, it's probably what Seahawks fans were feeling, and I would never, mm-hmm. you know, never know that feeling as a fan. But to see New York go all the way down and, you know, a field goal away. All you have to do is kick a field goal or run the ball. Mm-hmm. Kick a field goal or run the ball, you're fine. They throw a pass. It gets intercepted for over 100 yards, a touchdown return, a pick six to the house. Crystal Nines, Minnesota Vixen, shout out to you uh, and your team. And then the other moment, and, and this isn't technically in 2017, but it happened after our last 2016 show, our best 2000, excuse me, 2015 show. So the first winter classic between the Boston Pride, Les Canadians, and Montreal, it was a phenomenal game. It ended in a 1-1 tie. It was everything all hockey fans wanted. Uh, we, did, we did witness Deanna Lang's injury in, in that situation, um, but I think – you know, although it was a tough situation, it, it's been impressive and admirable to see what she's taken out of the situation to do with it, uh, not only supporting, you know, her, her recovery, but supporting women's hockey, professional hockey, even back in Princeton at collegiate hockey. So those are my three moments. EA, I'll go over to you. Yeah, and so for me, I hit on this a little bit earlier, but I want to talk about the inaugural She Believes Cup. So now She Believes, hashtag She Believes, is something that came out of the U.S. Women's National Team, as I understand, from a really hard retirement from 2015 for me. Lauren Cheney Holiday, um, it was a hashtag that was created by the team in order to really get their female fans in particular um, just just excited and encouraged them. Uh, so hashtag she believes uh, was a hashtag leading into the World Cup and then became its own uh, domestic tournament. And so uh, the, the inaugural She Believes Cup um, was able to uh, be hosted here in the United States by um, Team USA, but also featured major um, major teams from women's soccer. So not only do you have the U.S. women's national team, but you have Germany, England, and France 
competing right here on U.S. soil. Um, you know, these are teams that between the World Cup and the Olympics were, you know, in the finals. Um, just exciting, an exciting way to grow the game and show that there is a product. This isn't just some passion project. This is a product. People want to see the women's national team play. And so um, coming from the She Believes Cup, and one of the teams that played in the She Believes Cup and it was able to parlay 2016 into an Olympic gold medal year. Uh, I have Sylvia Need from Team Germany. She's the German coach. She retired after the Olympics. She brings Team Germany to win the first Olympic gold in their history, and she gets to retire on top. She, as a player, as a coach, has left, again, an indelible mark on the game of women's soccer, was able to break down Sweden's super compact defense and um, bring home the gold. So she is, is my second choice that didn't quite make our top 10. And then finally, keeping with my kind of tradition here of, of thinking of the longevity of the game, someone's got to get it started. And so Digit Murphy, who a lot of people know from women's hockey, was able to get a, a women's lacrosse league started. We talked about the Long Island Sound. Well, guess what? I'm going to talk about them again. They win the inaugural Women's uh, United La uh, Lacrosse League uh, Championship. Um, so they bring home the hardware. This is uh, a league that wants to grow and wants to be able to grow and pay their players. Uh, but just getting the league started, uh, kind of a niche sport. Um, it's a, it's amazing when we get to see domestic leagues start. And so we wish them the best. Um, and that's my top three. Inaugural She Believes Cup. Coach Sylvia Need retires as a champion, as an Olympic gold medalist, and the Long Island Sound win the inaugural United Women's Lacks Championship. And in, in mine, I, I already mentioned a couple of these, but uh, Katie Ledecky wins four gold medals and sets the uh, world records in both the 400 and 800 meter freestyle at the Olympics. Just an unbelievable performance for her at the Olympics this, this summer. Um, also, uh, Amanda Kessel returns to Minnesota and leads the Gophers to an NCAA Women's Hockey uh, Championship. Um, for me, the one that, that hasn't been mentioned, last year in the 2015 Best Of, we talked about uh, the stunning defeat of Holly Holm uh, knocking out Ronda Rousey, who hadn't been defeated before. And since then, we've seen really a revolving door in the UFC Bantamweight Championship. And we've seen uh, Holly Holm lose then uh, to Misha Tate. Uh, in the last seconds of the final round, it was, it was a thrilling uh, win for Misha Tate. Uh, Misha Tate then moved on and, and faced Amanda, Amanda Nunez from Brazil. Uh, she lost. Uh, Nunez just really dominated the fight. Um, Nunez was actually a... Uh, protege of Tate's in in uh, uh, in previous uh, episodes of of the uh, I'm blanking now on uh, the fighting championship uh, ahead of that uh, Tate then goes on and and says that she's probably done with uh, the UFC uh, but then Nunez tomorrow night December 30th will take on Rousey so we've seen this revolving door throughout 2016. And tomorrow night, right before the end of the, the 2016 year, 
we'll get to find out if Rousey will take back that championship she lost in November of 2015, or if Nunez is going to be our our uh, still uh, bantamweight champion for the UFC. So very exciting to see what happens. Check that out tomorrow night um, on pay per view. And you know, Kyle, just to jump on that one, it's it's incredible to think right now, just because you mentioned it, but we haven't seen a Rousey fight in over a year. Um, mm. So now we get one, and you talked about Tate and Nunez and Holm. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Rousey is going to cement her legacy. Is she, A win is definitely going to get her to another fight, but what would a loss do? You know, what, would a loss just, would she go into retirement? Would she just say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm done? It could be tough. I mean, she took some time off for herself, um, and I think that there's we've seen some hesitation to kind of promote this fight as well from her. Um, so, you know, I think that she has some some things going on for herself personally, and and we'll see. I think uh, I think she needs a win tomorrow night, and and I agree with you. If if she doesn't get the win, you know, I think we may be seeing maybe the the last of of Ronda Rousey, unfortunately. And uh, Dana White said it earlier in an interview uh, that Rousey has done so much for the sport, not only the sport, but for, for women in professional sports, that she deserved this kind of loophole in her contract where she wouldn't have to promote anything for UFC 207. Um, so it's, it's kind of a show of respect, but also a show of uh, what Rousey was able to do so far in her career to earn that respect and say, Hey, I'm not going to do any promos. So, uh, you guys are just gonna have to go follow suit and do what do what you have to do. So, really interesting there. EA, any uh, any of these sticking out to you? Any of the um, ones on our list or anything that we missed? Um, you know, I th- I think we have a, a a few other things that we want to get to, so I don't want to waste too much time. I think again, if we had if we had <laughs> enough time to really get into any one of these, uh, they'd be great. But we have some things that um, you know, we we want to keep an eye on as we close out 2016 and and head on into 2017 and beyond. Absolutely. So some of the things that we missed, we uh, talked about a little bit about it, but softball was announced at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So look forward to that. It was great news uh, to get that from the IOC and to, to even break that on my debut sports. Uh, so big shout out to softball returning to the Olympics, a lot of other sports. And um, we're really excited to, to hopefully bring you coverage later in 2020 of softball at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Kyle, you had some. Yeah, so I mentioned uh, Lindsey Vaughn has kind of had a an on and off year uh, with her health, but when she's been on, she's been unbelievable. Another one to mention as well, who has struggled with a little bit of health issues in 2016, but when she's on, she's on, is Michaela Schifrin. Michaela has just been unbelievable this this fall, heading into this winter, uh, winning just this this past three days two giant slaloms, which is not really her race. Uh, that was her second and third giant slalom wins of all time, but also winning a slalom today. So a three-peat this past week, uh, winning her 23rd career slalom race. Um, she is she is certainly dominating the field right now, and we hope, as you said, heading into 2017, that both Lindsey Vaughn can come back healthy and Michaela Schifrin can stay healthy, and they can uh, do the United States uh, ski team very proud. 
Absolutely. All right, EA, what are we looking forward to for 2017, and what did we miss? So, um, you know, it's been an up and down for the second season of the NWHL. Um, so we definitely missed being able to talk about the the salary cuts. And I hit on this a little bit, or I was alluding to this, um, subtweeting perhaps, if you will, um, about, um, you know, the viability of, of a league and making sure that um, that players are, are put in the forefront and being being given the opportunity to make a living um, off of the sport that they play. So the news of the NWHL salary cuts um, upwards of about 40%, uh, if not for the the um, Dunkin' Donuts $50,000 that was offered additional, um, was, was a huge hit. I don't want to say it was a highlight, but certainly an important piece of the narrative for women's hockey moving forward. But also we got um, out of the NWHL in 2016, Harrison Brown of the Buffalo Buttes. He now in his second season um, spoke to the league and, and let Danny Ryland and the NWHL know that he would prefer use of um, pronouns and so he is a transgender which has led to um, what many see as a groundbreaking transgender policy for the NWHL so I think uh, the NWHL is certainly continuing to make history in 2016 um, I guess the question is uh, with stories like Harrison Brown with the the um, partnership with you can play is that going to be enough to ensure that we have more uh, transgender athletes like Harrison Brown in women's hockey or in hockey at least that are able to um, to continue to play is that is that going to be a moot point if the NWHL is not able to get their financial ducks in a row so Good news on the side of Harrison Brown. It's been a great story and really uh, pushing the envelope and, and bringing a different conversation to the forefront. But unfortunately, still, the NWHL is riddled with financial difficulties. Now players um, really having to promote themselves <laughs> more than they already did um, to be able to, to have the league survive. Absolutely, and a lot to look forward to with the NWHL and to see how things play out with that league and um, how other leagues follow suit for, uh, with the transgender policy uh, or their transgender policies as well. It's going to be a really interesting 2017, a really exciting 2017. Uh, we hope that you join us in the next year as well um, as we continue to grow, and we have a couple of big things coming in uh, 2017 as well. So we're really excited about that. Uh, Kyle, I'll give you a couple of minutes. Anything, uh, anything on your list, anything that you want to touch on before we wrap up here, uh, our 2016, our last episode of 2016? <laughs> no, I think what we've mentioned the most uh, of late is just fans getting out to see games, fans promoting uh, the different sports, buying the memorabilia, buying the things that will put money back into the, the hands of the players and, and, you know, just be there supporting uh, and, and com continuing to stand up for what's right. And um, I think that's a huge thing, not only for athletes, but for all the fans that are following as well. We, we all have a voice as well. So go out and, and stand up for the athletes and for, for all of the, the sports that we follow. Absolutely. And EA, any last thoughts before we wrap up our last show here? 2016 is about the amazing things that have happened on the ice, on the pitch, on the court, 
as well as the voices of the women playing these sports and saying, yes, we're thankful for this opportunity, but we also know that we deserve more. Um, so that's my takeaway from 2016. And as a fan, as someone now watching these leagues, um, as a reporter, I, I think they're absolutely right. They do deserve more. So let's give it to them in 2017. Absolutely. So looking forward to and another great, exciting, phenomenal year in sports in 2017. Um, for Erica, for Kyle, and myself, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning in, whether you read our articles, listening to the podcast, tweet, retweet, Facebook, like, Instagram, like, everything. We, we appreciate it here at MyW Sports. We look forward to growing our coverage of uh, professional athletics, collegiate athletics, all these phenomenal athletes who play these sports that they uh, love so much and that we love to cover so much. So we really appreciate your support. As always, you can follow us at MyW Sports on social media. Check out MyWSports.com. Um, and, you know, a quick update here. UConn, they extend their winning streak. They beat Maryland today. Notre Dame is losing to NC State. So go check out those games. As Kyle said, plenty of great action to go get to, whether it's collegiate or professional. A lot of fun, uh, fun games to get to. So go out there. Go watch a game. Again, for Erica Ayala, Kyle Westcott, I'm Luis Sanchez. We hope your 2016 was phenomenal and great. We hope 2017 is just as awesome. Tune in next year as we uh, start MyW Sports Sports Sunday.